makes the average citizen puke. Look at this system and say, yuck, you know, what's going on? I don't know about this man except I've read bad stuff about him. And uh, I, I don't I don't like, you know, I don't like what I read about him. We are more than just one coin. We create the world around this coin. Come. Invention. Come. The evil has gone. Hey everyone, uh, welcome back to Grub Stakers. I'm Steve Jeffries, and I'm joined by my fellow hosts, Andy Palmer, Yogi Pollywall. Now we're in the middle of another of America's authoritarian crackdowns right now, uh, fueled by racism. We've got an episode for you today, which may seem at first to be a bit far removed from George Floyd the Minneapolis Police Department, and racist police brutality in this country. And Mm -hmm. I suppose it is in some respects. But also, our subject for today, Ma Huateng, founder of the software and media company Tencent in China, has devoted much of his life to developing and marketing systems which ultimately have served to further the authoritarian aims of his country's government, the Chinese Communist mm-hmm. Party. And like it, it, at the end of the day, that makes life a lot harder for Chinese workers. And so I thought that we would have some gold-fashioned proletarian internationalism today where we support workers <laughs> in both countries and say that there, maybe there's a shared struggle there against their respective authoritarian enemies. So... Uh, In that sense, they're related, I think. And so we're going to get into some pretty serious uh, instances of censorship, um, behavior modification, um, using Tencent's uh, software in cooperation with the government to help shape Chinese society. And if you just stay with us, you'll you'll see how this can actually be tied into some of what... uh, police departments do in our country in order to monitor people's whereabouts and what they would like to do more of like with say google's help or some u.s company but before we get into all of that i just thought maybe we could each say uh a little bit um about our feelings about what happened with the the george floyd protests uh andy i think you were involved in the protests mainly. Um, I was mostly just watching them on live stream, but you're actually on the ground. Yeah, yeah. I was at um, two of the uh, Brooklyn protests, which, uh, much like the Hong Kong protests, uh, were orchestrated by the CIA. And um, <laughs> no, yeah, it was. Uh, I was at the one on on uh, Friday at the Barclays Center, but I didn't really. Um, I didn't really see, I heard things, but I was like positioned behind a paddy wagon. I was actually, um, when I was at that, I, I, when I first showed up to it, uh, like because of the virus, I was like trying to stay away from people. So I was at kind of the outer edges and I was also kind of near the guitar center, which I think was like a subconscious, uh, decision where if the <laughs> looting started, like, <laughs> I would finally get a, a Fender Mustang. Um, sure. 
but it's, I mean, it's, it, the thing is, like, if they started burning it, I couldn't let it go to waste. Um, and of course, I'd also have to get a gig bag, and uh, it'd be a whole ordeal. But no, uh, so yeah, I was I was at the um, I was very briefly at the um, uh, Friday uh, protest, which, from my perspective, was very peaceful. Um, but yeah, and then I was at the Saturday protest in Flatbush, which uh, you probably saw footage of on the news. That one also started extremely peaceful. Um, it was, uh, I mean, it, it, the first few hours were pretty much indistinguishable from, you know, those pussy hat uh, protests right. that we all remember from 2016, 2017. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, as it started to get darker, the cops uh, started trying to break up the group. Um, they would send riot police in to kind of segment apart the protest, which was at that point just a march. And, uh, it was, it was very, uh, surreal for a while. Like at one point I left to just go to the bathroom cause the protest was near where I live and I came back and, um, what had been a March became a stand down with the riot cops were like the protesters were standing in a line, um, facing the riot cops and I think people were just kind of almost waiting for something to happen. Um, and there was one guy who was just clowning on all the riot cops, making fun of one guy for having Tiger Woods gloves holding his baton. <laughs> uh, he made fun of another lady saying like, Hey, did you put your, did you put those eyelashes on for this? Um, <laughs> called one of the cops a Karen and, uh, said he was going to call the cops for her. Uh, and then, but then like, as, uh, the group kind of moved away, uh, uh, some guys started, uh, smashing up some police cars with um one of them it was pretty funny was using a a, the police's own riot shield to smash a police van um and then once that happened kind of all hell broke loose the cops started charging the people would stampede um someone set off a firework in the crowd um and by the end of the night uh, people were forming like human blockades, blocking cop cars from like flanking the protests. And it got to the point where the cops were trying to kind of push their way through lines of people who were like using their bodies to block the car. And the cops would get out of the car and just like shove and hit people. And the people started hitting back and um, would throw like chunks of concrete at the cop car, um, push carts, like things like that until they actually won the fight with the cop car and the cop car sped off. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, it was something else. Uh, still, I don't know how much of this is going to make it into the episode, but I'm still processing it. Um, is it the most violent you've ever seen uh protest get? Uh, yes, for a protest. It was, uh, I mean, it was the most violent night that I had seen since I did uh, new year's in Belfast. But, sure. um, like the thing is the police presence in in Flatbush and Brooklyn in general like it's hell like they living in New York you just get the sense that you're living in a police state like you know someone needs to get to their job but they don't have any money and they hop the turnstile you know that could land them in prison it's like everyone was pissed off there's a lot of talk about like outside agitators but um i didn't see 
anyone who looked like an outside agitator. It looked like pissed off locals who were, um, and you know, it was ever, it was, it wasn't coordinated. Um, it was just, you know, everyone's been losing their jobs, losing their rent money, probably on the edge of eviction, you know, no one has anything to lose anymore. And so people are, you know, the, and the cops are just the face of, um, this oppression and people are just, you know, letting everything out, um, in the face of that. And the cops aren't helping because they're, you know, they're attacking people. They're escalating violence. Fortunately, where I was, I wasn't at the place where the cops, uh, rammed those protesters standing in front of a cop car. Uh, that was somewhere else, but you knew that these cops wanted to do the same kind of thing and they got close to doing it a few times. Um, but yeah, it was, it was crazy and I'm still processing the whole thing. Yeah. I saw the video of a, a cop and I don't know, maybe the listeners have already mostly seen it. The cop car driving forward into a barricade and the barricade pushing a bunch of protesters like really violently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Palacio basically said, well, you know, they shouldn't have uh, surrounded the cop car, but the cop car could have always like backed off. Yeah. It wasn't trapped or anything like like some people, are, some right. people are like, well, what if you were in the car and it, you thought you were going to die because you're surrounded? And I'm like, well, he's not surrounded. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, and it's it's like de Blasio has been disappointing, but his statement about that was like saying that the cops were justified. Like I. I I understand if you're a mayor and you shit on the cops, you're putting your life in danger, but it was so tone deaf. <laughs> uh, he like continually gets cucked by the police. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like even when like he'll he'll go out of his way to like protect them and then some police officer will still be say still say that he's like a communist agent meant to destroy the police or something. <laughs> yeah yeah they all they all still hate him yeah like, like he's like what he's very friend he's like on the level of bloomberg basically almost in terms of his friend well, his friendliness think, yeah yeah i mean they they probably love bloomberg because he let them go hog wild on people but um well that was andy obviously because uh they disproportionately stop whites too much and blacks too little <laughs> right yeah. yeah we know this from bloomberg no, yeah, while people were setting up a uh, barricade, uh, people, yeah, people were setting up, like, a, a barricade out of, like, trash cans and, and dumpsters in the street to, like, block the cop cars so that they wouldn't have to stand there themselves. Uh, but while they were doing that, I overheard some guys being like, I'm sick of this bullshit. And at first I thought he was talking about the protesters, but then he just went on to say, like, man, getting stopped, searched, pulled over, killed, I'm just sick of it. And... You know, it was that was that was the attitude that you know so many people had. Yeah, you can't forget that we're at basically twenty five percent unemployment right now. Yeah, and like you know, it's about it is about Floyd's death, but it's about so many other things at the same time. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah, you know, there's about to be a, a mass evictions, and uh, that has to be eating away at so many people and you know who exactly who's going to be enforcing those mass evictions yep uh yeah uh yogi yeah i think that um at no other time in my life than for at least the last three months has the 
notion of profits over people been so apparent and with the you know white supremacists with you know rifles going to uh that courthouse i think it was a few weeks ago to compare to the peaceful protest going on it might not have been a courthouse actually but like i mean you know there is such a oh yeah actually it was a subway restaurant (laughs) (laughs) um the which is a courthouse in Kentucky. <laughs> With everything going on right now, I think that the thing that's become most apparent is since we are in a subtle lockdown, people have nowhere to go with this information of police brutality and the reality of it. So whereas, you know, last year these same vicious acts were occurring, but you got to go to work or you got to do this or that and so you can kind of you know, if you don't live among the communities that are suffering constantly because of this, you were able to shield yourself from mentally processing it. But when you see, you know, there's a nine-minute video of a man putting all of his weight on another man until he is murdered, and the fact that there is any sort of debate on whether or not this guy is maliciously murdering another person or if he's just doing his job, I mean, it um, it is horrendous. And uh, Killer Mike said some great things in this like Atlanta town hall that was uh, that happened uh, I think two days ago. And in that, he just talks about how it, you know we watch this murder porn over and over again, and that is how I feel that all of these issues that are occurring become a bit of. A pornography like Stephen, you and I we, we weren't in the protest but I'm sure you've seen so many of the protest videos whether it be police uh, brutalizing civilians to protesters uh, breaking down windows to people that look like agents uh, setting fire to that auto zone I mean like it's literally porn like I'm not like saying that like I jerk off to this shit or anything but it's like it, it you just it gets hooked in your system and there's something about that that I can't necessarily put into words right now, but it is destroying us from the inside. Obviously, I, I condone everything that's been going on with the protesters and the police force itself has had uh, a reign that has, you know, terrorized the citizens of this country since their creation via the KKK. Um, but I'm tired of watching destruction and retweeting shit because that's all i can do and it's so frustrating yeah and i think i think part of it like i you know yogi you said you you haven't been to these protests yet but back in 2014 you know you and i were in uh in the eric garner protests as well Mm -hmm. and i think part of the thing is you know that was that was six years ago and nothing has changed literally nothing has changed and i obviously this has been going on you know, you could trace it back to Rodney King and Selma and, you know, way before that. Like, you know, nothing's, you know, maybe something's changed since Selma, but nothing's changed since Rodney King. Like, the the only thing that changed is now there's more videos of these. And, you know, with, with all the videos, it, people, it's just a cycle where a dude gets murdered. There's a protest. Either... There's a grand jury thing where they, uh, the prosecutor just talks him out of it, out of an indictment, or um, maybe they're charged and then 
acquitted because the uh, prosecutor is not even trying. And it just keeps happening. And I think at this point, people are seeing, you know, there's a moment here. Um, and they're seizing that moment to because it's a chance to drive things home. You know, maybe we'll actually get real change. And uh, I think the cops are maybe worried about that because the, the main demand is to defund the police. Yeah. And so, you know, they don't want to get laid off by, you know, all of us losers who are um, out on the streets. They don't want to become us. Um, and so, you know, they're hitting people with their cars and um, shooting rubber bullets into people's eyes and <sighs> spinning their batons uh, into people's heads. And it's, I mean, it, it's hard to see where this ends. Um but they're, they're not going to give it up willingly. We should uh, quickly mention uh, Sean couldn't be on this episode because he had to protect his several Airbnb properties. So uh, <laughs> our apologies for P. McCarthy. That's why he may be not seeing as many as, of his tweets. He's yeah. brandishing a machete and <laughs> a Tommy gun well, in front of several Airbnb properties. Yeah, you might you might have seen his machete video on Twitter yesterday. That might sound that might sound excessive, but this is Florida, so he's just standing his ground. <laughs> Indeed. You guys want to move into Yvonne? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. So like with the with Floyd's death, I feel like we we really depended on having some type of video of it occurring. Like, if, imagine if there's no video. And, right. like, someone saw it, but they didn't have the video and couldn't share it on social media. Or, like, it was censored mm-hmm. or something. So, like, um, as, w- as many problems as there are with the social media in U.S., um, at least that was able to pass by filters and people saw it. And then they acted. Definitely. So, like, moving into the subject of our t- of our episode today, uh, Mahuatang, also known as Pony for his love of the genuine track. <laughs> so today, today's subject is a literal horse billionaire. <laughs> in that, so his name is Mahuatang. He's also known as Pony Ma. Why you ask? Because Ma, the family name, is loosely translates to horse in English. And yeah. even though Ma is quite a common name, uh, he decided to name himself Pony because of it. Many Ma's don't don't decide to do that. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. But anyway, um, so just to get into his bio, Ma Hua Tang, he was born on October 29th, 1971 in Guangdong province in China. He's 48 years old right mm-hmm. now. Um, his father, Ma Chen Shu, worked to, um, early on he moved to, he and his family to Shenzhen and where he got a job as a, a manager of like a port authority facility. I was tried to find more on his father. It seems like he sort of grew up in like an upper middle class background, but, uh, I think Yogi has some more on that. Yeah, I always check the gossip rags on our billionaire episodes, and there's a website called celebfamily.com, 
and it talks about, uh, this is a quote from the website, Ma was born into a privileged family, and his father is a Communist Party member in China. Apart from politics, he is also known to be very dedicated businessman and friends with Hong Kong businessman Li Ka-shing. Ma's father has supported him from the very beginning of his career. So I'm not exactly sure if that is referring to uh, Pony's father uh, or if it's referring to uh, Pony himself. But either way, uh, the billionaire class of China seems to hang out with one another. Yeah, so he has like, his father has party, fairly close party connections. I mean, if you're like, not everyone is a Communist Party member in China in the way that you would be like a Democrat or something in the U S it has, you don't just get it. So, uh, it takes political connections to work your way through the party infrastructure and obtain membership. Right. You don't just get it. You have to earn it. It's not like herpes. It's more like (laughs) gonorrhea. And once you have it, you have it for life. That's right. (laughs) I I don't think I earned my gonorrhea. (laughs) <laughs> well you got it at a gas station that's a whole different story <laughs> so Mahua Tang is the CEO of Tencent now Tencent Holdings uh, it's one of the largest software media entertainment conglomerates in the world um, he's one of the founders um, but before all that um, he had an interest in computers pretty early on and uh, his father ended up buying a PC for him pretty, pretty early in his life. Ma completed his schooling in Guangdong and he went on to study at university in uh, computer engineering. One thing I found out was that at that university, he changed his like records uh, from the like he hacked into the computer system and changed the records. And the dorm administration was not able to figure out how he was able to hack that system. So in some articles, they refer to him as like the Chinese uh, Mark Zuckerberg. But since he's older, shouldn't Mark Zuckerberg be the American pony? (laughs) I think so. So he went to, oh, that university, by the way, is Shenzhen University. So he went to school where he lived. He graduated from Shenzhen with his computer engineering degree in 1993, uh, Bachelor of Science. His first job was with a company called China Motion Telecom Development, which was a supplier of telecommunications services and products. Um, He was in charge of developing software for, like, uh, pagers like internet pagers or like mm-hmm. really early versions of um instant messaging gotcha so he reportedly earned about 176 a month which sounds like nothing but it's i don't know it's kind of a lower middle class to straight middle class wage for the time in china right he worked for he then worked for shenzhen runjun communications co company in R&D work, research and development, um, in a department that was like focused on internet calling services, um, not like voice for voice chat. Gotcha. Which was like in the nineties that was really becoming a hot field. So, along with four other classmates from Shenzhen University, Mahuateng. He went on to co-found Tencent in 1998. And 
that's really where he pours in pretty much all of his waking hours into for several years after that. But before we really get into it, um, with with Tencent, um, and you know, in terms of his family from celebfamily.com, it mentions the woman that uh, they believe is his wife, but they don't know how many kids he has or if he does how old they are. So he's a very secretive billionaire. So uh, we could find his parents' names, but really not much other information outside of that. One video I found, which is uh, the Secret of Billionaire series on uh, YouTube, mentioned that uh, his family came from a small fishing town. I mean, either he's secretive or he also doesn't know how many kids he has. He's <laughs> <laughs> embarrassed. The man just likes to pump and dump. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I should say from the outset that so he's like known to be like not a flashy guy like Jack, like Jack mm-hmm. Ma. Uh, so like the other the other Chinese um, software billionaire found at Alibaba and like uh, people outside of China often think maybe they're related because of their name, but they're not. Right, um, but they're sort of like polar opposites. Ma is a very just a very common syllable in Chinese. Like you, I I just I just learned from uh, uh, being bored in quarantine that if uh, you want to ask a question, you end a sentence with ma, and it works like a question mark. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, like, uh, personality-wise, they're like polar opposites. Um, Jack Ma and Ma Huateng. So, Ma Huateng is supposed to be sort of low-key and very secretive about himself and his family. Um, Jack Ma is sort of flashy, and he's all about innovation and stuff. Whereas, um, Ma Huateng has kind of a diff. I, I was reading through a biography of his on Forbes, and... He describes himself in a way that's like really at odds with um, Silicon Valley people who are all about innovation and stuff. So he's always at everything he's asked about, like, what are your thoughts on the future of innovation or some like stupid question like that, (laughs) where you could just go off in any direction you want. But um, he says, like, "Uh, I think I think innovation is overrated. (laughs) Like he has basically that answer in several uh, well, it's in Chinese, so there's a couple different translations of what he meant. But, like, sure. he usually says something to the effect of he thinks innovation is overrated and it's all about just execution, he says. And, like, how well do right. you execute an idea? That's maybe refreshingly honest from a billionaire. I was like, you know, I, I don't know if I... I mean, I don't agree with what he means by execution, but I kind of agree with maybe the idea of, like, innovation has become such this such a buzzword in tech that it's almost meaningless. And, like, it, instead of, like, focusing on, like, oh, who's the next genius who's going to think up something that changes the world, it's more about, like, just get a bunch of people together and do something that, that people need well. Yeah, when I was looking at Lando Lakes and to see why they changed their mascot, in a lot of their interviews of the CEO, she talks about how they need big tech to come in and innovate the dairy industry. And like the problems facing dairy are pretty straightforward. And it's that 
people don't want to live where there are dairy farms and be dairy farmers, so farmers themselves are dying. The uh, blue chip corporations that own dairy, like Nestle and a few others, are harking like bottled water, water sales as well as dairy sales. And so small dairy farms are going out of business to make smaller retailers like Land O'Lakes not have enough capital to be able to push their product. But her answer to how to solve the problem is big tech coming in. And it's just such a buzzword to make you think like, oh, they're actually doing something about it. And it's like, no. That's it's not at all about that. It's about increasing your accuracy in terms of execution when it comes to making your product. Yeah, or finding ways to reduce costs. Like you don't need as many mm-hmm. workers or something, or uh, or at least you can get workers who are paid lower wages to use technology to help your bottom line or something. Something more mundane than it actually is. So like so, often, I mean, we've covered other tech billionaires who. Um, if they do innovation at all, it's to get it so you can justify having lower wages for people utilizing an app to do a task that's repetitive. So like they still need workers. They haven't replaced anyone. It's just that they have lower paid workers. Indeed. But that's a digression, I guess. I guess part of the strategy might be, um, that if you just, uh, constantly you know you automate one it might i think part of the idea behind automation is isn't just that um by automating tasks you replace workers but you uh remove one job and create a new one forcing people to switch jobs a lot and when when jobs become that insecure it's easier to drive down wages yeah yeah there's like a all-labor discipline aspect too it's not, it not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily mean that you lose a job, period, but you have to be constantly on the move. So let's go into Tencent and their innovations that they did or did not execute, but mostly in their copycat game. Yes. I already know my favorite game. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Ma enrolled at Shenzhen University, got his computer engineering degree. Um, he, he worked a couple jobs at a modest wage for a while um but he really was intent on starting his own company and he was especially interested in um internet me- uh, instant messaging which was in its inf- mm-hmm. in its infancy in like the middle of the 90s uh there are a few established brands um back then one of them was icq i don't know if you guys use that one like when you're really little uh, i don't know what that is uh it's kind of like irc which is another, like, it's a very early text-based instant messaging system that, like, you would use on dial-up. Gotcha. I, I, I started on AIM. Yeah. That was my whole thing. Yeah, for, like, for most people in the U.S., their first one is AIM. And AIM was, uh, it's, it wasn't a copy of ICQ, but it was um, very similar to it. So I, I wouldn't mm-hmm. say it was a copycat there. But ICQ was developed by an Israeli company in, uh, I think it was 1992. My introduction to IRC was like as a kid on message boards, like uh, the way people talk about message board culture on Twitter now, uh, all the Gen Xers on message boards would talk about IRC. Like it was this this lost (laughs) culture. (laughs) I was like, I was on there for just like a brief minute. Mainly 
Well, like my brother, my oldest brother was old enough to like actually use it for like for real, and then I would use it every now and then. Come on, Stephen, you weren't a young buck typing in ASL <laughs> and then doing cyber sex with randos in chat rooms. Come on, bro. Yeah, you'll get your wife is in the other room. <laughs> Just let me live through you guys. <laughs> I bring up ICQ because Mahua Tang. Um, a lot of observers say, like, isn't what you went on to invent basically a copy of ICQ? And, mm. in fact, he did run up against that. So, Mahuateng, he got it into his head that he wanted to launch something very similar to ICQ. And it was going to be an instant messaging uh, service built specifically for the mainland Chinese market. And he, ended, he unveiled in February of 1999... Shortly after he created his company, Tencent, um, OICQ, and he he marketed OICQ um, without any reference to ICQ, and eventually ICQ um, took him to court for it, and he had to change the service name to QQ, and he would keep it as QQ <laughs> for the the remainder of the company's history so far. Wow, <laughs> and it, it looked very similar, and they they weren't just arguing over the name; they're just like it sure, was. He stole. It was very similar intellectual property. Yeah, he stole the IP and created the same message board. And when they called him out about it, he was like, "All right, I guess I'll change the name on this shit." Yeah, so like all they were able to get him to do was change the name. Uh, practically speaking, sure. Um, I mean, there might there I might be some technical kind of- details that that they mm-hmm. might have had to that I don't understand reading through the legal case but that's you know right, the name right. is the big thing it seems like if his approach was just like if someone copied a um, Chinese program and you know kept the same characters from the name and then they got sued they just deleted two characters and repeated the remaining one <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah like it's a d- new name uh, like a, din- yeah, like a right, domain right. we're not Nike we're Kiki <laughs> The company was not initially as successful as Ma thought it would be, but after so like in its first first three years, it didn't register a profit, which I guess is pretty par for the course for U.S. tech companies now. Heyo, <laughs> with the unicorn or the the unicorn companies. <laughs> oh yeah, but what? So after he renamed the 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 service QQ. And after three years of kind of slugging it out with no profit to show for himself, um, once he was able to settle the legal thing with ICQ and its parent, uh, AOL was the parent company of ICQ. So indirectly, he was also up against AIM. Um, uh-huh. He was almost off to the races, pretty much, in terms of securing money. That's what a pony does, goes off to the races. That's right. <laughs> he was broken in. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, That's right. They broke the pony down. It's, it's fast now. I don't know how horses work. <laughs> uh, he was able to secure some early funding from a few two venture capital firms uh, in the amount of two point two million in late nineteen ninety nine. So not that long after oh. he debuted QQ. Later on, the South African. Uh, investment media investment firm Naspers, they ended up purchasing forty six point five percent 
of a share of Tencent in 2001. Oh, I should back up a bit. So the, he, the name Tencent, that comes, that's also like, that means something different in uh, Chinese. And I have that. It actually here. means there uh, it is. 15 cents in Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> so it it's the characters, the characters they use to represent it. Tang Shun. I think I got that right. Um, that stands for the speed of 10,000 horses running. Oh, and I'm like, really? the first thing that occurred to me was like, how if it's more horses, why would it be faster than just one? <laughs> right. But I see, I see what they're going for. It's like right, thundering, right. you know, the, the, the thunder of progress yeah. really fast. But yeah. It's like it's messaging at the speed of 10,000 horses. So that's where the name come from. I mean, I guess I get it, but for a na- man named Pony that calls his company after horses, man's a real horse <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so na- now that Nas, he has he has enough capital to branch out a bit, and so this infusion of capital allowed Tencent to release a plethora of software from about the year 2000 to 2004. Um, they have they have their instant messaging platform, QQ, that's been through a few different versions, and they're able to roll it out with less issues. Um, they invented this thing called QCoin, which is like a, a payment system. Well, it's it's not a payment system. It's a it's like a store credit system to to sure. buy games and stuff on their right. system and like in app currency type of thing. Yeah, pretty much. And which leads me actually to one of the main things they develop in this really early period is they start uh, their video game business, which like today it's huge. But they really expanded very quickly early on. And so they founded Tencent Games, the division that's wholly owned by Tencent Holdings. And it was founded in 2003. And it's mostly online games. And it has... I mean, today it it it's crazy how many different platforms... Uh, sorry, how many different companies they either owned wholly or have a significant investment in uh, Yogi? Yeah, yeah, from my research I found that they owned I believe 5% of Ubisoft 40% of Epic Games they do uh, Fortnite I mean, they own all of League of Legends I believe you know, you wouldn't presume how much of uh, domestically owned video game companies have a portion of their companies owned by Tencent yeah, so they own Riot Games, which released League of Legends. So like that, you know, that alone is huge. Um, so they also, in order to start out, they didn't. So they weren't developing games themselves so much. In the first couple of years, they were leasing. They were leasing rights to distribute games on their platforms from the South Korean company, for like, mm-hmm. uh, like two thousand two thousand two. And they're able to get enough traffic and money from that business to start developing in-house. Now, was this all on WeChat when they were doing this? Uh, WeChat came a little bit later. So Tencent Games is founded in 2003. And it has a couple early titles. Uh, 
One is QQ Tong in 2004, which is it's hosted on the social media platform of QQ. Mm-hmm. And it, it's like this online game that features like Chinese mythological characters. And another one which was much popular is called Dungeon Fighter Online, which is a side-scrolling fighter game. And a uh, online, a massively online RPG called Shunxian, which was one of its first 3D, like a, a 3D RPG. And then, of course, just to to summarize the gaming, like it really exploded, and eventually they, you know, they're they want to globalize a bit and get into Western markets, so they bought Riot Games, and Riot Riot Games developed League of Legends, and they they had a blockbuster of their own called Honor of Kings, which mm-hmm. like I mean I I didn't know about it before, but it's actually the highest grossing video game of all time. Oh wow! Like what? it's hum- it's just enormous in China, and uh, and a few other huh. countries now too. That's wild. I mean, like I remember during my research, they basically say that Tencent is the largest video game manufacturer, be- based off of the portion of the other companies they own, but from the other games that they have in-house as well. Yeah, so Honor, Honor of Kings is a huge cash cow for them. And, like, mm. the game itself, but also, like, uh, in-game, you know, uh, purchases, purchases and stuff, um, facilitated by KuCoin, so you can buy that. And- right. It sounds like a cross between, like, every uh, smartphone game that you get spam ads for. Yeah. Just Honor of Kings. And then there's a very busty CGI princess being like, will you protect my honor? (laughs) (laughs) If you answer no to that, your social credit score just goes in the shitter. (laughs) Like, you can't can't get airline tickets after that. (laughs) So... I thought it would be worth a mention. Um, so they have, uh, I mean, all those games are successful. They also had some like very overtly just like kowtowing to the China, the Communist Party games. Um, and there was one that was released in 2017, which was just titled "Clap for Xi Jinping: An Awesome Speech." <laughs> and <laughs> it's just. All it is, it, like, it will play, it will find a random speech of Xi Jinping, and then you have to, it's just how many times can you clap? Yeah. How hard can you clap for our leader? It turns out the um, the best clapper uh, for Mr. Xi is um, a gentleman named uh, Eric Yu, who managed 1,489 claps in 19 seconds. What? <laughs> what? You see, the key the key to appreciating Xi Jinping is to not just clap by tapping with one finger. You have to use all five fingers uh, in rapid succession uh. to, to show your proper appreciation for the Communist Party. Unfortunately, this game is not available on uh, the Apple Store. Um, so we can't show... <laughs> you know, we, we skew communist, and it's uh, kind of an insult that we can't show our true appreciation <laughs> for the party uh, um, they they were working on a follow up game jerk it for Xi Jinping but uh, <laughs> it never made it out of beta testing 
<laughs> it but it's good. it's probably the best use of uh, an accelerometer and a phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it shows your heart rate and everything. Yeah. Did we mention that they also made Fortnite? You did not. They have a for- so Tencent Games has a forty percent stake in Epic Games, and Epic Games made Fortnite, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So. And they made a lot of their money from that for, um, you can buy uh, special ways to string dance for G. <laughs> and dab for G. Yeah. Um, and it's important context that uh, this was at the time, this was right before they met to, for the, I think it's the 19th, you know, People's Congress planning session. And... One of the things that they agreed on was uh, fo- increased focus and government money to develop internet companies. Oh, yeah. Right. So the uh, the clap for Xi Jinping thing had that in mind. Oh, also, uh, here's a quote from uh, Eric Yu, the uh, 25-year-old PhD student who is the champion of clap for Jing. He says, the game itself is quite silly. <laughs> And after that sentence, the man was immediately beheaded. <laughs> it's like if you think about the ultra patriotic stuff that came out of America, um, like the first one I can think of there that would come to mind. I mean, I guess there's there's like Call of Duty, and then there's the like those post nine eleven flash games where you have to kill yeah. Osama bin Laden, and it's like when you compare Chinese patriotism to American patriotism, there seems to be a lot less killing in their games. Yeah, yeah, a, a little bit. Yeah, they like um, they do have some shooters that I I think the CCP sort of uses in the same way that maybe the U.S. did for some of those like in like in the early Iraq War years. I think the U.S. was using this uh, game called like Our Military or something or like America's, oh, yeah, America's Army. Army. Yeah, yeah. Like they used and that China for has- recruitment for a while. And China has their own, where it's like uh, Hong Kong protest sniper. <laughs> it's just like tag, tag peaceful protesters. Yeah. <laughs> I think that one of the things that you know shocked me the most was the invisible hand of Tencent in the video game industry, but also the fact that you know when it comes to movies or TV shows or even music. I'm going to watch and listen to things that I might not care for. Like someone else says, hey, let's go watch this movie, and it's not that great, but I'll watch it. But when it comes to a video game, I'm only going to play and finish games that I love. And in terms of Chinese propaganda being put into a video game, like that 5% that they own of Ubisoft makes it so that none of the Ubisoft games that uh, come out ever have anything anti-China inside of them. I mean... Like, the thing we were talking about with uh, Fortnite being 40% owned by Tencent, uh, if Travis Scott and Kid Cudi in that Fortnite concert had a line being like, you know, Xi Jinping looks like Winnie the Pooh, uh, suddenly, uh, no, we're not doing this fucking concert anymore. So the thing I wanted to get across to our listeners is the fact that although video gamers can seem relatively, you know, like nerds and losers, you only end up playing and finishing games that mean the most to you and if you are you know loving a game and it has 
pro-China rhetoric or at least not anti-China, you are not necessarily stuck in that mindset, but like it cuts in deeper to your personality than a movie or a TV show could, I think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. If it sounds like we're beating up on China, I mean, I think we're beating up on the CCP and relating them to the U.S. government as far as like their authoritarian tendencies. Really, so that was uh, the intent of this episode. That's what our handlers pay us to do. <laughs> <laughs> Later on, we're going to talk about uh, some of the social media aspect, and I'm I'm uh, I want to mention a few things about how Tencent maintains their monopoly in China. Mm-hmm. So that's their video game business. Uh, another major business line of theirs is WeChat, and which is a, uh, it's, it's like a, it's an, it's a communications platform, I guess. Um, it it covers, initially it covered like a uh, voice chat and different forms of like online communication. It really branched out to cover just about everything in Chinese society as far as Mm -hmm. um, how you would interact with institutions and uh, communicating with people. It's pretty incredible. So, like, one reason why WeChat has become so popular now, like, it has a huge market share, is because life is basically impossible if you don't use it. So. People can message their friends, they can make payments, they contact businesses, they order cabs, they you can pay street musicians with their Q, a QR code using WeChat. That's like, right. They, they actually use QR codes. That never took off here, but it, it, it worked in China. Yeah, I only use QR codes to find out when the next bus is going to arrive. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, the thing about it working in China is it's partially true. It's also that it there's there wasn't an alternative that was approved by the Chinese government to allow the people to use those functions as they wanted to. Yeah. So, like, a lot of... Um, the growth of WeChat is partly endogenous to the company and just it's like it's an okay product i guess but then it's also because it simplifies a lot of the interactions people have with the government and like they're the latest people's congress voted to devote more more federal money uh central party money i guess to developing internet companies like tencent and one of one of the strings attached to all that money is they need to develop systems which can be used to power their, what's called the social credit system. And Mm -hmm. we've already joked about it a few times, I guess. But it's a system that is a behavior modification, sort of like, well, actually sort of like the credit score here, but much more expansive. But same in the principle. And that it tried to encourage you, you're rewarded with more points if you do things that the party likes, and you're, you get subtracted points if you do things that they don't like. And it can be something as simple as like, um, well, I mean, it sounds simple. It's actually pretty crazy. But if you, if you record yourself or log yourself as finding a Falun Gong person, 
and trying to dissuade them from practicing their religious beliefs, you'll get points. Wow. Fucked up. So that's, that's, I mean, I call that, it is a simple thing to do if you don't have any problems with doing that on an eth- on a moral right, or ethical right. level. But, um... Ricky Gervais's score is through the fucking roof. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you think of the Falun Gong. Everyone hates him in the West now, but his, his Chinese social credit score is astronomical. <laughs> it's, paying, it's paying dividends. So there's this social credit score, and the government contracted eight companies to help develop web apps and online platforms that make it easier for them to to actually implement it. And Tencent was one of those companies. And so you can use WeChat and a couple of other of its applications to help help have your score be monitored by the government. And like they, you know, they add things for people, things they like and subtract for things they don't. And if you, if your score drops low enough, it's sort of like that black mirror episode where you don't get, you don't get access to like infrastructure if it gets low enough. Or the episode of community with meow meow beans. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. And, and Mitch Hurwitz is uh, the star of a college sex rom. That's right. That's exactly right. right. So beyond the social credit scores thing, um, there's been human rights violations kind of leveled at Tencent specifically. We chat. Um, uh, there's a human rights act, a Chinese human rights activist, Hu Jia, was reportedly jailed for three years on a charge of sedition uh, due to voicemail messages she left with her friends that were um, screened by uh, the the Chinese Communist Party Internal Security Bureau. And so he's on the record saying, quote, I took a chance and assumed WeChat was relatively safe, he said. It's a new product and not developed by China Mobile or China Unicom, two of China's... Two, those are state more, more state-controlled enterprises, uh, which have been monitoring my calls and text messages for over 10 years, so he wasn't using those. But he says, But the Guobao, or the Internal Security Bureau, surprised me with their ability to repeat my words or voice messages verbatim, though I'm sure I only sent them to my friends through WeChat. So, some anecdotal evidence that the government is watching what activists do through WeChat. Tencent is the company's biggest internet company, and they've declined most opportunities to comment on like what happened with this activist, but they they eventually said just, we have taken user data protection seriously in our product development and daily operations. And at the same time, like other international <laughs> peers, <laughs> we comply with relevant <laughs> laws. the exact same fucking thing Facebook says. Yeah, yeah, it is. Oh, yeah. And like it, they close it out with another really common thing where they say, we comply with relevant laws in the countries where we have operations. <laughs> and uh, if you listen to interviews with Ma Huateng himself, he basically just parrots that. So he's saying like, uh, like if someone will specifically ask him about like, you've been, you and your company have been accused of these human rights violations for monitoring on people's communications and reporting it to you know this to the government, and then they end up taking them in. 
uh, what do you think about that? And he's like, well, every country has different rules and you have to respect the rule of law in order to do business. So we don't really have a say in this. So we just have to operate based on whatever's rules are going on. Like I have no, like he has no power in this as the head of the head of enormous multinational company. Guys, just because I'm the captain of the ship doesn't mean I get to choose where it goes. He's like, it's out of my hands. <laughs> in one article I saw, there were Tibetan monks in uh, Dharamsala, India, that were using WeChat to talk to one another and explicitly saying, like, I know they're tracking my information, but it's convenient. What am I supposed to do? Like, this is the way I have to do just about everything. And in in cases of like TikTok and Zoom, I knew that they were banned in China. And previously, I believed, oh, they're banned because they do, you know, user data mining. And so the Chinese government must be like, fuck that noise. But now it seems more that the Chinese government and their connection to Tencent makes the monopoly of Tencent all the more enticing because were there to be any competition in any form of what Tencent does, then it would be a threat to the control that the Chinese government has over the corporation. So, you know, when I was telling my wife about some of the things that Tencent has done, she was like, wait, but is that stuff that like... Facebook or Google, shut up, Andy, does. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but in this country, we have the luxury of choosing whether Google tracks us or Microsoft <laughs> tracks us or Facebook tracks us or Twitter tracks us. In China, you don't get that luxury. Only Tencent can track you. And if you want to choose another company, you shit out of luck. Though, I mean, what what they were saying about like, yeah, I know I'm being tracked, but it's so convenient. I mean, that is exactly what everyone said since the Snowden revelations yeah like you know we know uh yeah i know i just don't care yeah like you know we we could all get on signal but it's kind of a pain in the ass like you know explaining to your 60 year old parents like how to download signal and install it or you know explaining to a, a, a tinder date how to like set up signal um <laughs> imagine trying to get puss and being like all right so like you know i'm talking to you on tinder but like you need to get signal if you want to make this serious and it's like if you're trying to fuck me how about you me- message me on whatsapp at least <laughs> i don't want the government looking in on my dick game <laughs> so there's all these there's all these surveillance issues that we've covered and there's also some just straight up information security issues that they've had where um, they have, so they have this antivirus that, uh, this framework agreement with other countries, they have to comply with antivirus standards and like, uh, security standards, uh, in order to have users outside the, outside of mainland China, like Hong Kong, the U S or Canada. And it's been found that like, rather like people, people investigating their security would be like, Hey, you have this, this, and this defect. But well, it's noisy. Should we wait it out? I think it's in a, a car passing by. Or should I close my window? No, no, no. Let it play. <laughs> it's what a is car. It? What are they I hope. I think it's Spanish it's a music? Car. You know, one of the things at the protests was this uh, mobile ministry van that uh-huh. was just covered in speakers. And one of the most surreal things is that like right after I walked by that cop car that was burning, um, uh, 
there's like you know another standoff with the police right and on one side of the street were a bunch of kids blasting fuck the police by it and uh just like dancing to it just to taunt the cops and on the other side right right was this guy just doing ministry standing on a <laughs> cart covered in speakers uh telling everyone about god <laughs> fucking end of days it's man weirdest night of my life okay so security professors will contact tencent and say hey you've got this this and this security issue that you might want to look into these vulnerabilities and they say right. okay we'll do that and then they release a new version and then people have found though that they're like they've they haven't actually dealt with them they just covered it up to game the antivirus software into thinking that it's secure oh. Wow. <laughs> so like if they're just gaming it so that it passes these international like compliance tests. Which almost seems like it like if you're going to go to that trouble, maybe you should just actually patch it. Yeah, it but seems I don't like know, it's maybe it's more effort to hide it. Maybe, maybe it, it's still easier or something. I don't know. <laughs> so it just has it's found to like have all these vulnerabilities as far as like other more stringent um requirements are concerned. And they just never deal with it. So, a recent controversy in 2017 um, that was uncovered by the New York Times is they found that the Tencent senior officers were doing this, like, sexist degrading game where they would have women try to unscrew the bottle, the bottle cap to a bottle while it was, like, between men's legs. Ugh. To like simulate like giving head or something, and sure, sure. Oh, like Rocky Horror Picture Show night. <laughs> really? Yeah, they do and games it, at the beginning of that. I was kind of uh, sexually assaulted by a woman at a Rocky Horror Picture Show night, and now I uh, hate them. <laughs> <laughs> but this wasn't like. So this was on a stage in front of people. Oh yeah, so was my experience. Really? Yeah. Don't go to Rocky Steven, Horror Picture. the Chinese aren't as clever as you think. Andy's letting you know Rocky Horror Picture has been doing this for a long time. <laughs> yeah, so the, the New York Times, they... It's a bunch of failed fucking improvisers trying to be funny by telling 20-year-old <laughs> jokes over and over again. They're hacks, Steven. <laughs> They're fucking hacks. Um, the company issued an apology. Ma Huatung, uh, you know, did serve sort of kind of like a flippant apology in a few... Like it was brought up in like one interview out of a hundred he did. And he was like Right. Um, I'll just direct you back to the company statement. We're really sorry, basically. And like that was it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right from Yeah. Like in, when you're in a company that big you just kind of issue a, a um boilerplate apology and then you're like, Well the News articles have already been written, so the damage is already done, uh, and people are going to forget about it as long as I just give the standard apology. <laughs> yeah. So to this day, Ma Huatang's wealth, it, it mainly comes from his 9.7% stake that he still has in Tencent Holdings. Um he also owns some property in Hong Kong and some like an art collection there worth about $150 million. Ooh. He owns a redeveloped, quote, palatial residence 
of 19,600 square feet in Hong Kong that includes a golf course. <laughs> it includes the golf course? <laughs> I don't know if the 19,000 does, but there is a golf course adjacent to it. Man, golf is fucking poison. Oh, it's also worth noting in 2016, Ma transferred two billion worth of Tencent stock shares to his to a charitable foundation he and his family set up. Um, mm-hmm. Forbes was in the middle of reevaluating his net worth because he was closing in on to be China's richest man ahead of Jack of uh, right. Jack Ma. Um, but they they actually didn't. They were about to deduct the two billion because he donated, but they actually found that those stock shares they never actually transferred over. They're still in his name. Oh, he just said he did, and there he actually still owns them. So it's part of his net worth. Yo, that is the most baller you know quarter with a string trick I've ever heard of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm you gonna like- give them a, ho- a whole bunch of stocks. Actually, I never really let go of the string, so it's still in my pocket. <laughs> so like. Charitable organ, we, as we know, charity is already a scam. But yeah. he's like, I, I don't even want to give him that. So I some I, I want to beat Jack Ma to be Chinese China's richest man. <laughs> so uh, today, probably should have mentioned this up front, but it's his his net worth fluctuates quite a bit. But today he is worth as of May forty seven point two billion dollars. He is he retains the. The position that he gained two years prior as China's richest man, and it comes almost completely from Tencent, which is involved in all of this censorship technology, social credit score, behavior modification. Yeah, I mean, like you know, people people on the left will often, um, and it comes from a good place. Um, they'll often. Uh, <laughs> kind of shout back when people criticize um, factors of the Chinese government, like Chinese surveillance, and um, because, you know, a lot of anti-Chinese uh, propaganda is kind of a product of the State Department or people unwittingly working on behalf of the State Department. But at the same time, it's still a massive institution that's still taking part in extraction and still, you know, just like the American system, uh using oppression to make a very small number of people extremely wealthy. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, you know, it, it's worth like being aware of when something is just state department propaganda, which, you know, especially with the um, China flu thing, like clearly that's just Western saber rattling, but it's also, you know, worthwhile to, keep an eye out for trends that are being used for oppression um, because it, they're eventually going to make it, you know, if some of them already have, um, others are probably on the way to, um, you know, our world. Yeah. Yeah. If I had to contextualize this, I would just say that like his, uh, his rise in net worth is inextricably linked to the Chinese Communist Party and his franchise that he's been given from them to develop these technologies that ultimately make life harder for workers. And I think socialists mm-hmm. should be uniformly opposed to that. Because like that's uh, 
it's it's they're just they're communists only in name basically and um the tankies will hate me whatever but they already <laughs> did because of the hong kong episode <laughs> the funny thing about like yeah a bunch of people got pissed off about the hong kong episode and like looking at what's going on at hong kong now you know you can say that a lot of the protests have been co-opted by the american state department and in a way maybe there are elements of that where they're played up for american propaganda but like on the whole you just have to feel bad for the people of hong kong because they're they're just stuck between two they're you know it's like berlin in the 50s you know you're just at the center of these two world powers mm-hmm. both trying to jockey for influence and you know the people there have to suffer yeah i mean it's, it's the deal the deal is should be like fuck xi jinping and also trump end imperialism in both places the way i look at china u.s is like they're competing imperialisms like my theory of imperialism is there can be multiple competing ones and like that have their own spheres of influence and they occasionally butt up against each other, or they can work in concert. And like a lot of U.S. trade policy for the last 30 years has been basically to have normal relations with China and basically have them be de facto allied with us, in a sense. As far as like we don't, we don't, um, we have like an economic non-aggression pact, I guess. Yeah, because for, you know, so long, uh, offshoring, to China uh, was a very, very useful tool for completely undercutting the American labor movement. And uh, which, you know, worked with flying colors, which is why, you know, for all of the people's saber rattling about uh, manufacturing going to China, they don't actually care. It's, it's been incredibly successful in crushing unions. Right. Yeah. Like, in, if independent labor unions organize within China that aren't sanctioned by the CCP, they're put down. They're broken up. People go to jail. One thing I wanted to mention about Tencent is they were involved in the NBA uh, controversy that occurred in the early 2000s, or mid-2000s, actually, where after WTO was signed... The U.S. believed that what would happen is that there'd be a natural uh, import of democracy with such an agreement. But instead, what has now happened is that it became more of an export of the dictatorship that China currently is in. And with the NBA, a large portion of their viewership, in combination with Yao Ming, was from a Chinese audience. And so Tencent was actually the platform that they used to watch the NBA games. And when one of, I believe it was a member of the Houston Rockets uh, coaching staff, tweeted out support of a Hong Kong protest, the Chinese government and Tencent were like, fuck the NBA. And so the NBA had to roll back like all of that, you know, like good faith inner country sports adoration dollars and be like, hey, we don't believe these protesters are right. We're totally cool, bro. And so that rhetoric of if China, if you use China as a customer, you have to play by their rules. Yeah. And it's because of Tencent and uh, Pony himself that this marriage of corporate um, docility with uh, the Chinese government is 
now being imposed on the rest of the world. It's still not the worst thing that a billionaire has done um, to the NBA, uh, which was, of course, Charles Schultz selling the Sonics to Oklahoma City. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, um, we should also point out that, like, that's an example of where uh, you know, Mahuatung and Tencent aren't in lockstep with the CCP. They have their own ambitions. Mm-hmm. They're separate from, they're like, you know, only ephemerally related to what the party wants, but the party's in charge. So like, you know, they have to, there's like this balancing act between these huge tech companies that China wants to develop and retaining party control over them at the same time. And you have to watch that whenever you think about like international developments in between China and the U.S. So like, you got other companies right. called like calling the shots on uh, more so on exporting technology and services like Huawei. Huawei is in like a whole international spat, partly because it like it didn't always toe the party line, and like they could have right. They could have, uh, the party could have come to the rescue, but they, they didn't always. And now they're in like a whole spat with it, with the U.S. and Canada. Um, similarly with, with Tencent, like they wanted, they were probably like having a contract to show the NBA in China would be like incredibly lucrative. Even, even for just one team. Well, I mean, you know, from, uh, this video, I believe it was produced by Vox they mentioned that, like, you know, although in the U.S. the NBA might have a slight edge over the uh, NFL and other sports in terms of social media in China, when it comes to sports, the NBA far outranks the other sports in terms of popularity on social media. And I mean, like, you know, it is it is interesting because, like, there is, like, I don't know if you guys seen that, like, you know, Marvel movies will have to, like, edit out white and black people kissing for Chinese markets and stuff. And like, you know, I don't know how to really frame this, but the more racist a country is, the more people love basketball. Like, I know that seems (laughs) fucking wild, but like, think about how racist this country has been, but was in the nineties and how fucking huge Jordan and the bulls were. (laughs) And think about, you know, basketball in the U S now it's, it's it's very popular, but it's not nearly as big as it was. And I'd like to believe some racial uh, relations are moderately better than they were pre Rodney (laughs) King, but China just as racist as they were. And they're like, man, we fucking love some basketball. I'm not saying racism and basketball go hand in hand, but I'm saying that they, but they both dribble. Uh, Well, I, I, I think we should also note Yogi that this is interesting because you're, probably the biggest fan of basketball on the show uh i don't know steven i feel like you might like basketball more than me am i wrong you're wrong all right <laughs> I still watch it though. all right well then then yeah as a man that only enjoys uh the dallas mavericks because of dirk nowitzki and the fact that the sonics are no longer in seattle uh yes i am the biggest basketball fan all right uh that's all i got cool let's round this bitch out all right i'll just do that and with that this is Brent grubstakers i'm yogi polywall I'm Andy Palmer. I'm Steve Jeffries. Uh, Thanks for listening, everyone. Stay strong. Stay safe out there.